Father, thank you for your word, uh, your word which is full of life, your holy word which is life-giving. Father, this morning, once again, as we read, listen, and study your word, may you bring us life, give us life, help us to hear your voice this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. So Psalm 139, uh, another Psalm of David, he writes, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So David begins this um, uh, wonderful, wonderful psalm. And the first thing that he, um, he acknowledges is that God knows everything about him. God knows absolutely everything about us. Everything about you. Before you think a thought, God knows it. Before you, a word leaves your lips, God has already heard it. And before you do anything, God has seen what we are going to do. He knows absolutely everything about us, which can be a very comforting thing, and it can be, uh, oh gosh, really? He knows everything about us. But the, the wonderful thing is, it means you can't hide. You can't hide from God. Uh, we spend a lot of time hiding from each other, hiding our behaviour from each other, hiding our thoughts from each other. You can't hide from God. He knows absolutely everything about us. Some of you will know the, the story of Arthur Conan Doyle, the writer of the Sherlock Holmes stories. I don't know if you know this story. He, he sent a telegram to 12 of his friends, very upstanding, uh, righteous members of London society. He sent them a telegram. It just said, flee at once. All is discovered. And within 24 hours, they'd all fled the country because they knew what God knows. They knew everything about them. They knew, you know, warts and all. God knows everything about us. And although that can be a kind of, you can maybe think, oh, 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 really, he knows that. He knows that I did that. Yes, he does. He knows, oh, he knows I thought that. Yes, he does. Um, he, knows that. he knows everything. It's actually, it's actually a good thing because he's a God of love and a God of compassion and a God who, even though he knows everything, he still loves us. And it's actually being in the presence of God is a safe place to be. The safe, because he knows everything about us, warts and all, and he still loves us. I was thinking as I was preparing, I remember sometimes, and I'm not going to name any names, but it's only uh, those of you that are parents, if you ever had this with, uh, you get school reports home about your children, and it would say in the, in the report, uh, or it might have said something like, uh, you know, this ex is, you know, they are so kind, they're so helpful, um, and, and you read it and you think, who is this child? Do they <laughs> really? They're kind, helpful, um, but because you know your children what they're like when they're at home, and sometimes they're kind and helpful and all the rest of it. But actually, when children are at home, because they hopefully they feel safe, you get all the grot. As a parent, you get all the grot because your children feel safe to be grotty with you. And so you do get all the kindness and all the loveliness and all the good stuff, but you get all the rubbish as well because 
In a family, it should be a safe place just to be everything that you are. In a family, it should be so safe that you don't have to hide the things that you're struggling with. You don't have to hide your failings. Actually, if you are being parented well, it's a safe place. And David is acknowledging that. He's saying, actually, God, you know everything about me. And wow, you read David's life, he made some mistakes. He got a lot of things wrong. But he says, oh Lord, you search me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know everything I think, everything I say. Being in the household of God, the presence of God, is the safest place to live our lives. Because he knows everything about us. And still he loves us. Still he welcomes us. Still he's patient with us. Verse 5, he goes on. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So David's acknowledged that um, God knows everything about him. And now he's acknowledging that there's, there's no place you can be where God is not. There is no place you can be where God is not. And David in his life... Um, as we know, you know, he spent a lot of his time as, as king of Israel, but he also spent quite a lot of his life on the run, on the run from enemies, hiding in, um, you know, hiding in the mountains, hiding in caves, fearful of uh, his enemies finding him. And yet David acknowledges that wherever he is, God is with him. There's nowhere he can go where God is not. And the same thing is, is true for us in our lives. If we know God, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the most wonderful comfort because wherever you may find yourself, wherever you may be, God is with you. Um, I was, again, as I was preparing, I was just thinking back over the years and, and thinking of times when I have found myself on my own, particularly when I've been traveling and I've been in situations where something's gone wrong, uh, something hasn't worked out. And I've been on my own. And yet in those moments, I've known, well, I'm not on my own. I can never be on my own because the Lord is with me. And even if there's no one else to talk to and no one else to ask for help, I can ask the Lord for help. And so many times over the years, in those kind of tight spots, I've been at peace because I've known that the Lord is with me. He hems us in behind and before He lays his hand upon us. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. You know, one of the, the, I guess, the, the unique things about the gospel is that the God in whom we believe is a God who is loving. A God who is kind. A God who is patient. A God who perseveres with us. A God who is compassionate. And a God who loves to be with us. Who loves to make himself present to us. So when you find yourself on your own, when you find yourself in a tight spot, when you find yourself wondering what on earth to do, 
Remember what David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. God knows everything about you, knows everything about me. And still he loves us and welcomes us. There's nowhere we can go where he is not. We are never on our own when we know the Lord. He goes on, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. What an amazing thing. Surely the darkness will hide me. The light become night around me. No, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Uh, some of you will be familiar with a um, uh, wonderful Christian lady, uh, Corrie ten Boom, who, um, she was a, a Dutch uh, sort of watchmaking family, a Dutch lady, and uh, during the Second World War, she and her family uh, harboured uh, Jews and um, resistance fighters, and eventually they were discovered, and uh, her whole family were shipped off to concentration camps, and Corrie and her sister Betsy uh, were taken to uh, Ravensbrück, where Betsy died, and eventually Corrie, through a c- clerical error, was mistakenly released. But they lived through, she lived through the horror of a concentration camp and the horror of, uh, of Ravensbrück, which was as, as awful as we know it to have been. Uh, but one of the things that Betsy said to Corrie in, in just the horror and the darkness of that concentration camp, where she said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper. There is no place in our lives so dark that God's light cannot illuminate it. David has discovered this in his life. David goes through uh, some of the most um, awful times of his life. Next Sunday, we're going to be looking at Psalm 51, which David wrote at probably the lowest point in his life. And he had a few lows along the way. The lowest point of his life. But even in the, the, just the, the deepest pit that he found himself in, he discovered that God's light still shone. It means that there's always hope. There's always the possibility of redemption and, and, and restoration. You know, as, as a family, some of you know, as a family, we've been through some difficult times over the years and some very desperate times over the years. I've been through moments where I've just wondered how to get through, how I'd get through to the next hour, the next day. And yet in the midst of all of that, the thing that has uh, reassured me the thing that I've held on to is the fact that God's light still shines. Whatever pit we may find ourselves in, God's light still shines. His love is deeper. His love is deeper. Whatever you may be struggling with today, God's light still shines. God loves us. He knows everything about us. He's with us. There's nowhere we can go where he is not. And there's no pit that we can find ourselves in that is so deep that his presence is not still with us. And his light still shines. He goes on, verse 13. Uh, perhaps uh, some of the most familiar verses from this psalm. 
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What um, uh, glorious words uh, to read. Wonderful affirmation of, um, of who we are. If you ever doubt your, how precious you are and how special you are, you should print those words out and stick them on your bathroom mirror to read um, every morning. But they're verses that we can't, uh, we can't read and not uh, address uh, the issue of abortion. And um, I want to say as graciously as I can this morning something about uh, this issue of, uh, of abortion because um, we have to speak the truth that God reveals in his word and we live in a society and in a culture where abortion is now simply something that is, is taken for granted. And I recognise it's a deeply emotive subject and a, just a very controversial subject to try and address. And I'm conscious that it's an issue that affects a huge number of people. I was reading this week, uh, a quarter, a quarter of women under the age of 45 will have had an abortion at some point in their lives, a quarter of women under the age of 45. So I realise it's an incredibly emotive subject. But when we deal with these things, we have to start not with how we feel, but with God's revelation. We have to work from that place. And these, when you read these verses, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. We have to say that when we talk about abortion, we're not talking about the termination of a pregnancy. The language that is used around abortion is very um, uh, misleading, it's disingenuous. Because you read these verses and you realise actually the termination of a pregnancy is It's not the termination of a pregnancy, it's the termination of a life. A God-given life. You can't read these verses and come to any other conclusion. One of the the saddest things that I've seen in recent years was, uh, I think it was two, maybe two, three years ago, uh, some of you will remember this, there was a referendum in Ireland to about whether or not abortion should be legalised in Ireland. And uh, the referendum, they voted in favour. And I remember on the news um, just seeing these celebrations on the streets of thousands of women uh, celebrating this new right that they had been given. And let me just say, in all that I'm saying this morning, that I've, I've recognised the uh, maybe controversial uh, and I, but I want to, I'm trying to speak as, as lovingly and as truthfully as I can without any sense of, of condemnation. But I was so saddened 
that these ladies who have been created to give life were rejoicing in a right to end life. Uh, When you read in Genesis uh, chapter 3, when Adam names his wife, what's the name that Adam gives to his wife? We read Genesis 3 verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve, which means living, because she would become the mother of all the living. You know, that's the the gift that God has given to women is to give life. And so what I want to say is not in any sense of condemnation for anyone who has had an abortion. There's no sense of, I don't want to speak any sense of condemnation. It's just a reflection of the divorce that has taken place in our society between the way we see ourselves and the God who has created us. You see, abortion is just, it's a symptom of where we've got to in our culture because we have cut ourselves off from God. And the reason that this is so important is because in the end it comes back to identity. Uh, The irony of that week when the referendum was held in Um, in Ireland and they voted in favour of abortion. The irony was that the other big news story of that week was of the crisis of uh, uh, mental health issues amongst young women. And it was all in the news that week of a huge crisis of depression, um, self-harm, suicide, all of which fundamentally is about identity. It's when we don't know who we are, it's when our, our, kind of our, our inmost being is uncertain and fractured that we fall into depression, that we self-harm, that we think about suicide. And I know because I've been there. It's when you're uncertain about your identity that those things um, collapse. And in a society where we sit lightly to life itself, well, where, does our, where do we derive our identity in a culture that embraces, embraces abortion? Well, actually, you have to say that, well, the reason that I'm here is because it was, it was convenient for me to be born. It was convenient for me to have life. That's why I'm here. If circumstances had been different, uh, then my life uh, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. What a foundation, what a, a, an uncertain foundation on which to build your identity. What does God say? What does David say? You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's room. That's why we're so precious. That's why we're so special. That's where our identity comes from. We are creatures. We are creatures. We are created and we are created by the most loving God. When we lose sight of that, then we can't be sure of who we are, which is why in our culture now we want to self-create. We live in a culture where we want to, uh, we want to decide on our own gender. Whatever that may be. We want to step away from the idea that we're created male and female because we've lost sight of all of that. We're divorced from the God who created us and so now we say, well, I can be whoever I want to be. 
I can make myself in my own image. But the danger of doing that is you end up not knowing who you are at all. We are created. We were created by the God who loves us. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Again, just what a, uh, how it must grieve God's heart that so many lives that he created, those lives were cut prematurely short by his own creation. This is a difficult subject, I realise that. I realise that everything I've just said uh, could get me into enormous trouble and enormous difficulty. But we're called to teach the truth of God's word, however uncomfortable it may be. And to remember, as we began, that God is a God of compassion, a God who restores whatever we may have done in our lives He offers forgiveness and restoration and redemption. But we have to begin with the truth of his word. Uh, My identity comes from knowing that I'm created in the image of God. and That he loves me. He goes on verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Right to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake... I am still with you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. David just rejoices in knowing the thoughts of God, which just shows us that God loves us so much that he shares his thoughts with us. God allows us an insight into his character, into his nature, into the way that he thinks. What an amazing privilege that the God who created the heavens and the earth allows us into his thoughts. Verse 19. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Uh, Sometimes when people look at the Old Testament and try and discern uh, the character of God in the Old Testament, they think, well, the God of the Old Testament is, he's so judgmental. There's a lot of bloodshed in the Old Testament. A lot of people seem to be put to death. Well, David says, I mean, if only you would slay the wicked, O God. What's David's complaint? David's complaint is that God is not as judgmental as he thinks he should be. The God of the Old Testament um, is gracious and compassionate. Yes, people do die. Uh, God creates a covenant relationship with his people. And the basis of the covenant is if they obey him, they'll be blessed. And if they don't, they'll be cursed. That's the nature of the covenant. And when they mess up and when they get things wrong, there are consequences of that. But the God of the Old Testament, like the New Testament, is a God who, who withholds his hand of judgment. Why? Because he wants to give us the opportunity to come home to him. He forbears with our sin and our wickedness. One of the, the tragedies of our culture is that people look at the wickedness that, that they see in the world and draw the conclusion that there can't be a God of love. Because how could a God of love allow this wickedness? 
Well, God allows this wickedness because he wants to um, withhold the day of judgment in order to give us the opportunity to repent and come home to him. It's because he's patient with us that we live in a world of wickedness. He tolerates it. He tolerates our wickedness. One day, yes, it will be judged. One day, yes, we will give an account. But he's not as judgmental as most of us would like him to be. When people upset us and we, uh, you know, we, we you know, want him to sort of smite people off the face of the earth because they've cut us up on the motorway, he doesn't do it. He's way more patient than we are. Way more loving than we are. Way more compassionate than we are. But David speaks from a place of love for God. And it distresses him when he sees those who don't love the Lord. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? He has, he has such a passion for God's name. Do we have that same passion for God's name? In our culture, in our society, are we prepared to stand up for the God who we love when we see his name dishonoured? Are we as jealous for God as he is for us? And finally, the last couple of verses. Uh, and it's, it's almost a prayer. It's a prayer that we might pray for ourselves. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. See, David has discovered um, God to be um, a place of safety and security, a place of blessing, a place where he is known, a place where he's safe, a place where he knows there will be forgiveness, a place where he knows there'll be restoration. And so it becomes a safe place for him to say, search me. Know my heart. Are we willing to come before the Lord and say, Lord, search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's what David has discovered. He's discovered the path to everlasting life. And that's the glory of the gospel. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus died on a cross, as we um, sang in one of our opening songs. Jesus opens the way, the way back to God. Uh, We've covered a lot of ground this morning. Uh, We've touched on some controversial subjects. But the heart of this psalm is that God has found, uh, David has found a God who loves him, a God of compassion, a God in whom he finds his identity. And my prayer for each one of us this morning is that we may do the same. So let's pray for a moment. Let's take a, a few moments of quiet.